What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What I don't like is selling. You build this career as an actor, and then people start coming to you to sell their product. And I was never, I never felt I could do it because, you know, I, I can act, but I never felt good about it. It always made me feel kind of icky because it didn't feel authentic. You're listening to What I Know. I'm Christine Legorio Chafkin. Today's episode, I Don't Like Selling. It may feel shocking to hear a founder who makes and sells stuff for a living say that the act of marketing or selling feels icky to them, especially when it's someone known for being the face of brands. But for a lot of people, selling is kind of an unnatural act. To use your body and your words to promote something that's just a thing. My guest today is a study in contrast and was a fascinating conversation partner. Kate Hudson is not only known as a serial entrepreneur whose image is used by and whose Instagram is covered with brands she's created. From nutritional supplements company In Bloom to King Street Vodka to Fabletics. She's, of course, also known as one of Hollywood's best-known actresses. She got started as a kid, but broke out with Almost Famous in 2000, for which she won a Golden Globe Award. She's since done dozens of films and many, many sponsorship deals. That's what she was talking about when she told me that selling doesn't always feel natural to her. And that is what drove her to find what in the business world would give her a sense of meaning. And since, a lot of her energy has gone toward working with the kinds of businesses that have a purpose of sustainability, wellness, and democratizing those concepts. But before Kate was building companies and making films, she was always interested in both storytelling and creating structure. There was no aha moment of when it came to performance or storytelling, right? So it was like, in my mind, I always wanted to perform. But a huge part of that is the storytelling aspect of it that you kind of learn to fall in love with once you know that performing is just a part of your life. So then you, you start getting involved in understanding how to tell a good story whether you're evoking it and like evoking emotion in someone else through storytelling or whether you're building a story and creating it. And I sort of fell in love with that through my love of performance. And I think honestly, entrepreneurship is very similar. The idea of it, the execution of it is different in some ways, but the inception of an idea and when you're building on that idea, to me, it is storytelling. So what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I felt like that was always something I was interested in. When I was little, I had the creative side that came immediately, but then I also had this very kind of like, I would play secretary back when, you know, people called their assistants secretaries. I liked to file things. I loved like 
getting on my mom's typewriter and using her whiteout, like whiteout was the best thing. So I'd write all these things out and then I'd love to correct everything. Like my linear brain was actually very powerful for me. So I had a real balance of like right, left. I wanted to file my whole life, you know, everything like pictures of my dog. And like, I would file like letters from my friends. So I I liked structure, um, which does like lend itself to this sort of more, I guess the, not, not necessarily the full entrepreneur said, but that, that more like structuring things to build on top of like structure on top of structure. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that lends itself to the business world, certainly. But what made me curious about what your answer was, you mentioned the aha moments. Um, was that part of it? Um, is that part of the allure of entrepreneurship now to you? Or is it more the process? These are such complex questions because there's so many different things that I like about it. Um, What I don't like is selling. So I think the one thing that I'm finding is that the part that I always find, I love to build, I love to create, I love conscious consumerism. So one of the things I think that happened to me and where my journey kind of started was you build this career as an actor and then people start coming to you to sell their product. And I never felt I could do it because, you know, I can act, but I never felt good about it. It always made me feel kind of icky because it didn't feel authentic. You know, as the same thing happens to me when I have to go promote a movie that I'm not that crazy about that I was in, right? So it's like someone says, you know, oh, you you had all this like faith in the movie and now you got to go sell it. And you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't direct it and I don't really like it, but now I got to go sell it is not fun. And so when it came to products and endorsements and things like that, I was like, I would start asking all these questions. How is it made? Who makes it? What's the purpose behind the brand? What's the mission that would always get me? It's the only way I wanted to be a part of something. If I liked it and I felt connected to it, then I felt like I could speak to it. And then I realized that a lot of people wanted to pay me a lot of money to promote their product. And then I I would ask, I wonder how much they're getting from that. I said, what happens if I bet on myself and I take the long road versus the short, quick road, and I actually build things that mean something that I'm passionate about. It's as simple as that. And then The other part for me was maybe this will allow me to be more home with my children, not traveling, making movies on crazy time schedules and stuff. Maybe this will give me some, a sense of structure for my family. And I got, I got very lucky. I've been very blessed to have had my first risk, which at the time, most people in my industry, in my position as an actress or actor, weren't doing much of. And I decided to like put my eggs in that basket and we um, have succeeded. Yeah. Are you talking about Fabletics? Yeah. 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 That was sort of before that curve happened, right? Of, of everyone jumping into entrepreneurship and it becoming trendy again. Yeah. I mean, it's been a decade. And at the time, it was one of those risks, you know, and the risk far outweighed going a more comfortable route for me of like just having relationships with brands. And then here comes the other part. I think everybody that I've met that I really admire in the business field that are entrepreneurial really do take risks and they get a thrill from making 
what they think is the right risk. There's something about that that is exciting. We came out the bat with Fabletics very successful. I had to learn a lot of things really fast that I'd never really experienced before. That being said, I have to say it wasn't like a it wasn't like rocket science, you know, you, it's not dissimilar from producing a movie or doing things I'd already done. And, but learning about cap tables and all the, like this supply and demand thing was very different to me than anything I'd done in movies and understanding supply chain and timing and how you have to be on all of these things all the time was an interesting learning process. Before you were involved in Fabletics or, or before it really began, how did you meet Adam and Don, and how, what were like the first seeds of that, um, what became a very successful company? So for me, it was, I wanted to do something in fashion. I made it very clear to my team and everybody that that was something that I wanted to build versus continue to just say yes or no to people asking me to do endorsements. I was really actively looking for something like, like that. Uh, and then I met Adam and Don, they had a great idea. And they had a really interesting model, which was new. And for me, it was something I'm super passionate about, which is active lifestyle and how we can optimize our life and find more optimism, find more joy, find more sort of control of that we can have in ourselves through being more active. And then affordability. So to me, I always felt like it's one thing if you're in luxury and I, I do love luxury, you know, who doesn't it's fun and it's beautiful and it's well-crafted, but wellness to me should be available to everyone. And I found that that as well as Adam and Don, that that world was very exclusive. You know, there was nothing in between. There was only a 200 to $150 yoga pant to, you know, a very kind of not very high quality, cheap yoga pant. And there was a just this huge available space for us to really make it more accessible to women. But I remember the first time I met them, I was like, this is a really interesting. I love this, but the model was so new. The part of the model that's new being the subscription model and having the, the VIP members or no, just that middle, middle ground. So there was subscription, right? And there had been those models and there was obviously the traditional retail, but, but, but the model that was shifted to, as we started to understand the customer, but it was a flexible membership. So it was sort of like a, it's more of like a VIP subscription. So it was really teaching a, a new way for a consumer to get the best value. And with that, because it was new, obviously it was like, People didn't really quite understand it at first because a lot of people don't usually read what they buy. So then we we learned as we went, like how we could educate our consumer about how much value they can get from becoming a flexible member. And, and really what that means is simple. Like you have the membership and the flexibility is, is that you come in, you have all of the content, all of the extra things, all the exclusive deals but you're actually getting a much lower price on what you're purchasing based on the fact that you're a member and then it rolls over. Let's step back to what we were talking about previously, which is kind of what you took from Hollywood, from acting and from directing and brought to the business world. What skills actually translate there? What did you find once you were deep in business that came easy and what had a steeper learning curve? 
I think the one thing that I've noticed in all businesses is that there's never such thing as an easy road. There's always an uphill battle in some way that you're looking in, whether it be fighting for more money for a movie, whether it be fighting for a difference of opinion in marketing, there's always going to be the uphill battle and learning how to like, not allow that to become an anxiety to actually allow that to be a fuel of excitement to hopefully achieve the things that you want, that you believe in. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, we could get into into specific examples if that helps, but I, I love that you mentioned having that fight for what you need without causing yourself anxiety. Like, how have you done that in the past? How can one do that? Yeah, it's the stress. Like, there's good stress and then there's bad stress. You know, there's the stress that makes your hair fall out. And then there's the good stress. Like, there were times in my life where I would feel this level of anxiety about being so busy. Oh, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. And then I'd, I'd be like, I love being busy. Hold on. I can actually stop telling myself that being busy is annoying. And I can remind myself that I'm busy because I chose to be busy and I love to be busy. And therefore, I'm going to get excited by how much work I got going on right now. And also gratitude. I think that's a huge practice period that just completely changes our brain and, and, and the neuroplasticity of our brain, which allows us to kind of take all those stresses away. But I think it's very common for everybody who is leading any kind of business life that is, whether it be nine to five or it's constantly going and your phone's constantly connecting with your work and then you've got kids in school and all these things. I think that stressor comes up for everybody. And it's like, how am I going? What's going to be my relationship to that? And honestly, the reason why as an entrepreneur, you know, I like to get into areas of wellness is because these are the topics I'm most interested in. You grew Fabletics until it had more than 2 million uh, members and 50 or 60 retail stores. Um, 75. 75 now. <laughs> wow. Crazy. And then you took something of a step back in 2021 um, while also having launched two new brands in the past three years. Why don't you tell us about the last uh, three years of your journey? Well, for me in business, it's never about like being in front of it all the time. So it's really important that what I'm building and all of the relationships I have with my partners, what is my definition of being a good entrepreneur? First and foremost, know your bandwidth know what you're good at and what you really want to like connect with the people who are best at learn from everybody and follow through on what you know in your gut is something that could be a really great idea but never get in your own way and one thing i know is i am not a ceo i do not want to run a business i do not want to do day-to-day -day on a business i am a creative i want to help build and grow i also I'm not the kind of person that enjoys looking at myself all the time. So, you know, I don't, I've hardly, I, I sometimes I don't even watch my own movies. So I'm not really interested in being in front of the business as a face all the time, but if I can help build it and then be more involved in the creative side, that's actually where I feel happiest and thrive the most. So for me, it's always my goal to be able to have an idea, build it, help it, and then have it live on its own. You know, I don't want anything to be my brand. I want it to be its brand. 
And that's been my focus for everything I've done from the beginning. So with Fabletics, it's grown. It's, you know, we've, we've been in a, in a great place and look forward to all the next chapters. And so now I'm able to really focus in on in bloom my King street, the films I have that I have to do in these next couple of years that I've been developing for a while, getting more into my creative stuff on that end and just continuing to build. I'm an Aries. I get bored. I got to keep moving. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, you know, what's next? Um, I can tell you've probably got 10 more ideas um, (laughs) ready to go. Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, you know, it's like that they always say like, there's some, there's some people like I just, that is, you know, I, I was looking at, at models of ideas in terms of people like to box the sort of celebrity profile in to a certain idea. My thing is, is no, I want to think of it like I'm Coca-Cola and there's all these other businesses, you know what I mean? And you start acquiring and building, but no one is really the same. All those things sort of, if I was at the center of what it is in terms of like lifestyle, that all of the brands around it would totally be their own. And I wouldn't have a brand that was just mine. You have said in the past that you're so interested in the mission behind a business. And that's the thing that helps get a business through a challenge is having that strong mission to come back to or a purpose. Maybe that's a way to talk about InBloom and how you started working on InBloom. I think that for InBloom, for me, was an extension of as Fabletics was growing, people wanted to sort of say, hey, I think you should do, you know, a sporty makeup line. And I'd be like, no. <laughs> Why? You know, I get it. I get that it's fun, but I'm not there yet. That's fun. Like, as you just said, I like purpose-driven businesses. So people kept saying beauty, beauty, beauty. And I was like, guys, beauty is how we feel. It's how we eat. It's how we are supported. It's how mentally we're constantly working on our joy. To me, beauty is an inside out job as cheesy as that sounds. And if I was ever to do beauty, it would be in this, in a sort of the world of supplements and talking about how nature, how we, whether it be through food, through supplement, that to me is beauty. Then I just immediately was like, what I don't like is swallowing pills, right? So in my mind, it was like, I really want to create a business that is about the concept for me is about how we are constantly growing and how we're constantly needing support and how we support each other. Like the more nutrition-based aspect of our health and our growth. And in bloom came from what I really think is the most honest sort of connection to a lifestyle brand that just the name alone in terms of like, my belief system, which is that we're constantly in bloom from, from birth to death. And then even beyond my spiritual belief is that we, it's a constant growth. And so really for me, that's where this came out of my mission is to make the best possible product, the most bioavailable nutrition powders and make it fun and easy and accessible and try to get it at a really good price point and start there with talking about beauty. Yeah, that's great. And so how intense was that development process and how, like, at what point were you most involved in building the product? Um, I assume 
that's kind of the point where you're the most engaged um, in the process. And and what was that like? Every partner I've ever had, I really feel like they're surprised. They want the relationship and the connection and like they're into it. And then they're like, how involved do you really want to be? We would love for you to be as involved as possible. And I am the opposite where I'm like, you need to ask yourself if you're comfortable with how involved I am, (laughs) because if we're going to do this, like we do it, like I'm your partner and there's no like product that's going to go by without me having my hands all over it. And, and so it's more like that, you know, and I, and I've been lucky enough to find great partners that really like not only encourage, but want the feedback. When we come back, I'll talk with Kate about how she thinks long-term about her business's sustainability and their margins. But first, a quick break. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So we started looking at like what the consumer wanted. And then we went into the science of it. What are the best things we can do? What are the plants that have the most sort of researched efficacy that we can build on? And then we built around those making the yummiest powders. I mean, that to me was the most fun. Uh, It was the amazing learning process. Even though I know a lot about it, I still, we have this just incredible formulator and she's just this hippie chick out in uh, upstate New York. She's got herbs and mushrooms and things all over her, you know, formulating room. And sometimes you taste them and you're like, this isn't, this is disgusting. (laughs) Yes, but it's so potent. I'm like, no, we need to figure out how to make it this potent, but actually taste good. You know, that was really, that was really fun for me. And then honestly, what's fun is the marketing. You know, it's always hard. It's always challenging. There's not anybody in the business that's not looking at how they can reach more people, how you can grow, how you're educating not only the customer that you have, but new customers. Very interesting. We had already formulated pre-pandemic and then the pandemic hit. We were sort of weighing when we launched. We had the product and we were supposed to launch later. And then I was online trying to get some vitamins. I couldn't find any vitamin C. And I was like, you know what? We should just launch. Let's just launch. Let's not worry about it. Let's just stay focused. Maybe even pull it up a little bit and let's get the product out there so people can at least, I just felt like we have it. Let's put it out there so people can start building their immunity or feeling like there's more support out there. Seeing as everybody was just trying to get as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Did it shift your your marketing strategy then? You, you know, you want to be careful because it's a, you know, these are plant-based things and you can't like make statements that aren't true. And you want just people to feel like they have, you know, support, but we do know that like vitamin C, vitamin D, 
are vital for your immune system. And so to be able to talk about health in a time when everybody was so, and is still so fearful was just something I wanted to get in front of. So it did change the seriousness of which we were looking at the product. It does. It adds some gravity to it. But still, you have this beautiful product in lovely packaging. But one thing I I loved and I noticed was that it seems like sustainability is also really important to you and to in Bloom. Um, And it seems like you're still innovating in that area. You have a new totally biodegradable packaging. And um, I'm imagining that that might continue to evolve as further innovation happens in that area. Is that something that you're always thinking about? And how do you kind of keep the business nimble and thinking about how do we be more sustainable? How do we be focused on our mission even more strongly? I'm like one of those people that love stuff, right? And yet stuff is terrible for our planet. I see being kind to nature, not as like, it's the answer. I'd like to preserve it as much as I can for my kids to enjoy. So whatever I do, I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing by a place that I really think is pretty spectacular, which is our planet earth. At the same time, I love stuff and I know how hard it is to live a very kind of sustainable lifestyle. Um, I know how hard it is as a business to make that happen. It's expensive. And again, these are all things that I find to be fun, which is how do we figure out how to make sustainability less expensive? How do we figure out how to democratize wellness? It's not ever, all of this is for, is like an exclusive practice. It's like, you have to be of a certain percentile of wealth to really truly live in the ways that people are trying to say we should live. And it does, it's not attainable. It doesn't make sense. And we need to make that more available to everyone. I find that to be a responsibility. So like, how do you start that process? I think you do it by one, your mission and two, you know, staying true to it and trying to make it as affordable, but you need the demand, right? So If we can get more demand, anything sustainable, if we can get more demand in the things that are actually really good for the environment, then those those numbers and those margins will start increasing, decreasing. And so that's kind of how I look at sustainability. And one of the things for me is that you, you don't compromise on it. So when everyone is talking about recyclable pouches or biodegradable pouches, we went out to look for them. We couldn't find them. We could not find them that truly were the biodegradable ones. People don't realize they need to be composted. A lot of the recyclable pouches, people don't realize you have to take them to special recycling centers. It's all there in very tiny, tiny, tiny print, but nobody's reading it. So you throw it in the recycling bin, but it doesn't really get recycled. Like all these things I research and I'm interested in. And I'm like, no, I want to make sure that someone can buy the product and know that everything in there is actually thought out properly. It's really important to us to use sustainable uh, practices, how the farmers are actually harvesting, how they grow. Um, These are things that we're all passionate about in in Bloom. That might not be something someone cares about on the surface when they're buying something, but if they know and are educated that we're doing that, then I would think that they'd want to be a part of that company. 
and that would make them feel good purchasing it. What advice would you have for other business owners in terms of building that into their model and into their kind of priorities? Because it's not often something that immediately helps the bottom line. Although you mentioned there is more consumer demand for it, it is costly um, to make sure you're building those those right practices into your brand. Um, do you think it has a payoff in terms of long-term, um, you know, finding those consumers? That's a great question because I've always fought for those things. Like Fabletics is actually a really good conversation around, around that because we started a decade ago when these things weren't really being talked about that much. And then as we've grown, we've seen not only the demand, but for me personally wanting to move into, you know, how we can take what would be considered fast fashion and make it more friendly. How do we make, how do we create carbon neutral stores, which we've actually accomplished? How do we make 50%, if not more of our materials, recyclable materials? What are the things on the market that we can, as a large company, invest in so that everyone starts investing in them. And that's what we're finding is that there's all of these new materials and all of these new recyclable practices that are allowing businesses that are affordable, that are good quality and affordable to use and better for our environment, actually like repurposing these things. So again, the more we talk about it, the more we do it, the more demand there is, the better it becomes right. And it's, and then, and then you're not even talking about prices because every, it's just too in demand that that's just the goal for me. And I think every company should have a responsibility to that. And I think every company these days does, everyone has a mission. They know they have to, they know they should. And it's just that some people are more willing to cut their margin than others. So for me, I would rather take a, have a smaller margin, make a product more affordable and make less so I could build more. I, I, I look more like long-term than short-term, right? Like I, I, I can, I'd rather bet on the long-term game of our margins than, than the other way around. You mentioned that when you were a girl, you liked to kind of organize things and file things. Um, how has that translated into to today? Are you, um, do you look at those margins often? Are you, I see a calendar schedule. I am holding up right now every year. I've got a group of girlfriends that are very organized. There's four of us that I get these for every year for Christmas. And of those four girls, I would say I come in number three is the most not disorganized. <laughs> <laughs> they're very organized women. I was just driving to the desert and I was listening to Blinkist and I was like, I got to like figure out a better way with all the things I have going on to organize my own, like that I don't forget things. Cause so, and then there was this Blinkist about this book called, it's called getting things done GTD. And I liked it so much that I then looked at the book and he talks about this thing. He says, our brains are terrible assistants right? We need to figure out everybody, even the most, you know, there's no such thing as a, a great multitasker. Our brains aren't supposed to hold all that information. We're not losing our minds if we forget things, but we need to create a system that allows us to not only to forget that we were thinking about something that we have it, and then we can forget it because it allows a more creative brain to like expand and there's more room. I was like, oh, I like this. So he has this thing called the collection tool. And the collection tool 
I have a ton of them. I have them on my phone. I have them in my book. And then I have another book that I carry around sometimes. And the collection tool is when something comes in your head, like, oh, I got to call writer's math teacher. Instead of going, all right, I got to remember that. I put it in my phone under my collection tool. I'll put it, I'll write it down in my book and I'll forget about it. And then the next morning, every day, I go through my collection tool. And if there's things, what you find is that your brain, it's like my collection tool looks insane. (laughs) I've got a million different things in there. But what you find is that you have these ideas, like even like, oh, you know, I got to fix the doorstop. And then what you find is when you go through it, after a while, there's like 10 things on your collection tool that you don't really need to do. It's like your brain is thinking about things, but they're not important things. They're not necessary. So you end up crossing them off. I mean, that's the nerdiest thing I would say I do. Thank you so much, Kate, for joining me today. Oh, thank you. This was really wonderful. with Kate. What I'm really struck by is how challenging it is to balance the concepts she's interested in. For just a few, health, wellness, sustainability, and mass market. She looks at purpose-driven businesses that have the possibility of reaching a lot of people. So they're mass-producing goods, which she knows is inherently not sustainable. But that's not it for the contradictions. She's a celebrity and a frequent spokesperson who doesn't totally feel comfortable in the act of selling. Well, that is, she says, unless she really believes in the product. She's had to find a balance. And that often means playing, in her business, a game of really tight margins. She's a person with a ton of ideas and a lot of divergent interests. She's complicated. But having a complex set of tastes and values is a very human conundrum. And finding harmony in there, that's something we can all learn from. What I Know is a production of Inc. Magazine. I'd love it if you could subscribe or follow us wherever you are listening. It'll help make sure you don't miss the next episodes of What I Know. Also, if you have a friend who would love our show, please send them a link to your favorite episode. And if you have any ideas for founders you'd love to hear from, drop me a note at whatiknowatinc.com. You can also let me know on Twitter at Legorio. Our producer, who is also constantly turning down offers to endorse sporty makeup lines, is Joshua Christensen. Our production assistant is Blake Odom, and our editor is Nicholas Torres. I'm Christine Legorio-Chafkin. Thank you for listening to What I Know.